Hey, everybody, good morning. Uh, I'm not going to welcome you because Caitlin is, but I just want to acknowledge that we have one sound tech this morning whose spouse is doing the announcements and is holding a newborn whilst he does it. So give it up for Travis Lockie. Good morning. I'm Caitlin Lockie, partner to Travis Lockie, mother of the newborn. Um, Good morning. It is my joy and honor to welcome you to Redeemer this morning. It is a beautiful day, and it's wonderful to see your beautiful faces here as we worship together. Um, I would love to invite you, if you are new, to fill out a Connect card. We have some in the pews. We have a bazillion outside in the foyer. Please fill one out. Drop them in a little basket so we can learn how to connect with you. If you're online, you can do that with a little chat bubble that's on there, and we would love to learn more about you and help you um, to kind of plug in and get with um, our Redeemer body. I would love to draw your um, attention to some announcements that we have in our bulletin, um, the first of which is the congregational survey that Giorgio has been talking about. A letter went out this week. Um, you have a QR code there that you can scan. There's also a texting code on there that you can do to really just help feed into the vision and future of where our church is going and to give us your feedback. Um, there's also paper copies outside if technology is just way over your head. I get that some days. So there's plenty of ways for you to go about and do that. They are due by April 11th, so keep that on your calendar. Speaking of calendar, we have calendars now. Um, out in the lobby, there is a table called Resources, um, and that's going to be changing in the next couple of weeks. We have some new things coming to kind of help communicate things to you guys better. Um, but there's a calendar on there of the whole month of April, things coming. Um, and then on the back, some things coming later on in May for you to just kind of have on your radar. Um, so check that out. If you have questions, just email me, um, and we'll try and help get you sorted where you need to go. Um, the other big thing coming up in April is our Holy Week, which is going to be starting on April 10th with Palm Sunday. Our children's ministry, they're hosting this beautiful um, live nativity experience with donkeys and sheep. Children are, of course, welcome, but adults, you got to come too because we have live animals and you have to see us try and figure out how to do that. Um, but it's going to be on Palm Sunday, next Sunday. Then we have our Maundy Thursday service here at 6. Then we're partnering with Hope Prez for a Good Friday service. And then we'll have our egg hunt and our regular Easter service here. So all those dates are in your bulletin. Um, so please look through. And there's a bunch of other things, other service opportunities and things that we're hosting. Um, keep that in mind. And I'm going to invite Jen Sanders to come up and help lead us and walk us through worship. morning. I'm going to give us just a second to settle and take a couple deep breaths and realize where we are.
have um, some friends, some of you, actually some of the, the kids in here who can make really beautiful things. Kind of amazed by y'all. I try to make things sometimes and they often, well, they just don't go so well. I try even like the things that are supposed to be super easy to do, like those tissue paper flowers, and they just look very wilted from the start. And I was out in my backyard yesterday and I noticed this one tulip that was the only tulip in the backyard and it was this orange and yellow color it was very brilliant. It was amazing. And earlier, I had noticed what I think is a carpenter bee in this really fuzzy, kind of this golden color. And he was busy flying around. And earlier this week, I noticed um, when I was taking Luke to an early morning weightlifting moment, moment, time, um, I, um, there was this brilliant sunrise. It was un unbelievable with orange and peach and pink and some red and blue somehow in there. And I don't know, as spring is unfolding, what you have noticed this week, or if it's been such a full week, or stressful week, hard week, that it, spring may have gone a little unnoticed. And that's, that's okay, gosh. That's the way our lives work sometimes. But this morning, we are called together by the one who made the bumblebees and the sunrises and the tulips. And he is so worthy of awe and worship. So join me, if you can, in standing and responding in the bold words this call to worship. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. You may be seated. Join me in this prayer, silently. Almighty and ever-living God, in your tender love for the human race, you sent your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, to take upon him our nature, and to suffer death upon the cross, 
giving us the example of his great humility. Mercifully grant that we may walk in the way of his suffering and also share in his resurrection through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand? God is my shepherd, I won't be wanting, I won't be wanting. He makes me rest in fields of green, through quiet streams.
Thank you, guys. We move into a time of what we call in the bulletin, confession of sin. And if you are new to Christianity, this is a time where we all join, join hands acknowledging how much we need our Savior, our God, that we worship today. And I don't know if when you're singing um, this song, we just sang. It was talking about wanting. I know our, our next one does. It was the first song. Was the first song? Why didn't I see it in here? Oh, yeah. I won't be wanting. I won't be wanting. No, I, I know I sang that because I felt like I am wanting, right? I'm wanting a lot. And as we come and we are going to sing our confession, we're just acknowledging all those wants. And a lot of them are so beautiful, right? Some of them are clearly, some of our wants are clearly not good for us. And some of our wants are beautiful things. And <clears throat> I think about this thing that is uh, always with us and um, how it helps us so much in life, right? But it's also what we look to a lot of times for our wants. Maybe it's like hoping to get some good news from here or connect with somebody or um, just feel not bored, right? We kind of, because boredom can feel kind of painful sometimes. And so we want, we want things, and that is beautiful and good, and God made us. But he's ultimately made us to want him and to be satisfied in him. And I was telling a friend this week that, um, Recently, I realized, like, I want not pain more than I want him. And he, he understands that. And he grieves, grieves with me, right, and the pain. But he knows I was always made for him. So as we sing and confess, let the Lord, his spirit, help all of us know the things that we are looking to in our wants that are sometimes beautiful and good, but where he's drawing us back to what we were made for in him.
with me for the good news of this God who, who draws us to himself, who makes a way that even in all our sordid, straying wants, he gathers us together in his love. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Join me. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places 
in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Will you walk with this life, in this life, with Jesus, the shepherd of your souls? We will follow wherever our good shepherd leads us. Thank you. We're going to sing the Lord's Prayer as we do. Think of the things you would want to lay before him. We have a good friend, elder here, Daniel Vandergriff, that was in the ED last night, and we are lifting him up. Um, he had an injury, um, tibia, ankle fracture that was pretty, pretty tough. So... We lift him up to the Lord for his comfort and healing, and as we sing, there's other things that come to mind.
Hey, kids, if you're able and willing and want to come up and read the scriptures with us, we would love to have you. We love y'all so much. Jesus is always with you? Yes. Yes. That is so true. And peppermint patties help to remember that. To remember Jesus is always with Come on down. So glad you're here. Okay, guys, we are still in this book of Acts, and we have been learning about this early church that was thousands of years ago, right? And this man, Saul, who is like the biggest bully ever to folks like us who are believing in Jesus, okay? So we're going to hear a little more about the most amazing thing that happens to this crazy, awful bully, Saul. But I'm, you're going to hear about it in worship training, but I'm going to start you off. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, following Jesus, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. Okay, we're going to stop there, and you'll learn more in worship training, and Pastor Giorgio will come up and help us in here. Okay, if you're kindergarten teacher, kindergarten teacher, kindergarten teacher can go with Miss Holly. Oh. Okay, wait, wait. The beard, the beard is about Palm Sunday's gathering at 10 o'clock next week. That was a teaser. <laughs> and guess what? There'll also be a donkey and sheep, goats, some, maybe baby lambs. But really, so you dress up like, well, you know, this is not, what, what? It looks good, doesn't it? It would probably take me four and a half years to do this. <laughs> So this is for the kids, which I mean is for you. Because any way a kid learns, 
an adult learns better. Because truly, why, why are you laughing? Seems like a completely appropriate... At first I had it up here and I didn't know what I was doing because I don't have any facial hair ever. So, um, Anyway, so next week, y'all, it's going to be awesome. There are going to be like these five stages of Holy Week. Um, and I won't be playing Jesus, but whenever you dress up like a Bible character, it doesn't matter because you can just pick any Bible character because you look the same either way. Um, and so I'll be playing the narrator on the cross section of it, of the, um, of the kind of Holy Week experience. So please come out around 10, um, walk through uh, what, what the children's ministry is prepared for both um, young people and adults. And now I will not continue like that. <clears throat> but could make a really good tissue. <laughs> By the way, my dog is exactly this color, just in case you were wondering. So I want to start the sermon today on Acts 9, uh, which you have the bulk of it, probably three quarters of it, in your bulletin. And I will be going through some of that, even the stuff that uh, wasn't read earlier. Uh, and there are actually three more stories in Acts 9 about Peter doing all sorts of miraculous things. But right before that transition into when Peter's doing all these miraculous things, um, I think that actually the whole point of what we're going to go through today was told to us. It is um, everything that, has, that we'll talk about today ends like this. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Everything that I'm about to talk about is simply the original church growth strategy plan. Not Saul's or Paul's or the disciples, but the Spirit of the living God. I'll get back to that after we work through the story, but I want to kind of retell the story, but I want you to watch out, not for the main character, which we see as Saul and his incredible road to Damascus experience, but to all the other characters as well. They're important. So in verse 1 and 2 of the story, Saul, give you a little background, was a Hellenistic Jewish leader, a Pharisee. And a Pharisee was a part of a populist advocacy group. They weren't actually in charge, but they had a lot of pressure that they could apply to uh, the temple leadership. So no official authority at the temple. Saul hated this revolutionary movement that was happening um, in these chapters we've gone through so far, um, and they called it the way, the way of Jesus. He thought that they were poisonous, radical heretics, especially when they called a crucified criminal the son of the living God. They went around talking nonsense about Jesus being the long-awaited Messiah, and he wasn't going to have any of that. Saul must have thought that the officials weren't doing the, the, the work they needed to be doing to, to, to quash this rebellion, so he gets a warrant from their arrest, for their arrest from the high priest. That is not an ordinary act. Then he goes after this group of heretics with a squad of bounty hunters. But he didn't even need to get paid. 
He was doing it for the glory of God. Verse 3 through 9 have, has Saul head to Damascus. Think about this. He was likely part of the ancient Pharisee tradition of prayer. He was probably on his horse, praying for strength and courage and a bountiful harvest of these troublemakers. Saul loved the law and the prophets. He was trained in them. And for God's glory to shine forth, he was likely praying that to keep the purity of Yahweh's ways, that he'd get rid of the way. Imagine his eyes closed in prayer, or maybe wide open, right? Wide-eyed with the dreams of victory before him. Filled with the zeal for God. And then light. Midday, blinding light shone all around. The other men fell speechless. They couldn't see. They could see, but they couldn't hear, or they could hear something, but they couldn't see what it was. And they didn't know what to do with themselves. All the hunting party could hear was, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Paul, rightly, asks, um, uh, who's asking? And Jesus answers, it's me, Jesus, the one that all these people have been talking about. And you are persecuting me. And Paul is completely blinded. Eyes cataract by the vision of Jesus. And then the, med, the men lead him by the hand to Damascus. For three days, he can't see. He doesn't eat and doesn't drink. He's utterly disoriented. Then verse 10 through 16 come along, and it kind of starts like this. Meanwhile, another guy in Damascus, his name is Ananias, and we never hear about him again in all of Scripture. So meanwhile, Ananias, he's a member of the way, Likely packing up to leave because people have heard that Saul's coming. Likely one of the few Christians left. Maybe he's just a bad packer or just thinks he needs too much stuff. I don't know, but he's still there. And Saul's coming to do them harm. And God spoke to him and gave very specific directions to go see Paul at an address on Straight Street. Literally, it says Straight Street, which I would love to see this street, right? So you go to Straight Street, and, I, and Ananias, Ananias is like, um, you also told me his name, and I know who this guy is, right? Um, don't you know who this guy is? And God responds like this, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Please lean into this statement. God didn't say, I will show you the glories of what he will do. 
I will show you his purpose-driven life of self-fulfillment, of following the way, which are true. Nope, he said, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. This is not a popular church growth technique. But it's the one that God employs to Saul, for Ananias, and to us. Come and die in me. Come and die for me, and I will raise you up. Ananias works through his fears, and in verse 17 through 19, it describes what happens. He puts straight street address in his iPhone, and he heads out to a very uncomfortable meeting. And this is what he says. Brother Saul, are you kidding me? Brother Saul, who is this Ananias and why don't we get to hear more about him? What faith and trust in the, in, in, in the spirit he must have. What a sanctified imagination. He trusted the powerful magic of God to change someone to convert them and to renew them from an enemy to an ally. What is that? And now he looks at this sworn enemy brother, probably people he knew had been bound and taken and then killed in Jerusalem. And he says, Brother Saul, oh, my brother, may we, Redeemer, have this kind of hope and expectation in the power of the living Christ. And maybe maybe." Maybe we'd be ready to call people's brothers and sisters. Ananias prays, the spirit fills, Paul sees, the cataracts melt. And what next? Paul gets baptized and then eats. Love this. Right here, that's all of it in two phrases. Anything you need to know about Christianity is right there. Prayer, the spirit's power, the blind see, baptism, the very sign of the covenant promise for millennia, and being fed in fellowship with your new brother. That's it. That's the magic. That's the power of the way. The people of God seeing their actual enemies as future allies. That's it. There is no rancor in our day, and we got plenty of rancor. There is no rancor in our day that compares to what Saul was doing to the people of the way. He was going to capture and bind and likely murder Ananias. Saul was the kind of guy who would storm the capital or join Antifa's violent protests. I don't know which side of anything he was on. Ananias was the kind of guy who listened to God and walked toward a person who did, wanted to do him harm and trust that the Spirit has transforming power. So in verses 19 through 23, you see this radical transformation of a radical. Saul's zeal does not lessen one iota. It just gets absolutely redirected in the opposite direction. So, as I do, 
I read around. And Dwayne Carter, a.k.a. Lil Wayne, a.k.a. Wheezy, a.k.a. Louisiana, talks about how he spent eight months in jail and read the Bible every day during that time. During his eight-month prison term, he talked, well, he talked about that eight-month prison term in 2001 in a Rolling Stone magazine, and he says this, it was deep. I like the part where some characters was once this, but now they're like that. Like, he'd be dissing Jesus, and then he ends up being a saint. That was cool. Amen. So he, come, he goes from a persecutor of Jesus to a preacher of Jesus. And in Damascus, he uses all his biblical training all his mastery of understanding of the Scripture to undo the very thing he had been talking about the entire time. The stuff he'd been spewing for months. He unspewed or respewed. I don't know how to do it it yet. Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews. He was the Jew of Jews. Confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was, in fact, the Christ. That's not a great way to, like, how to win friends and influence people technique. That's not a church growth strategy, except for it is. And so he started getting into what we've seen all through Acts, good trouble. The Damascus Jewish community must have felt betrayed. This was our guy. Now he's on the speaking circuit of the other team. And now he's telling us we're all wrong. And the human instinct is always to eliminate your opposition. So they go about doing that. They plot to kill him. And Ananias' buddies, also slow packers, were there. And then being used to this kind of persecution, they begin to say, hey, being wise and gentle, wise as serpents and gentle as doves, they create an extraction plan for Paul, for Saul. And it's an almost comical scene. They put him in a basket and lower him down to safety. Like, this is that moment in a movie you're like, well, that's really, I mean, everything's been weird so far, but that's really weird. By the way, this is why I trust the Bible, because fiction can't hold a candle to reality. And no one would just make that up. So then he goes to Jerusalem, where he got his orders where he got his papers to kill the Christians, where he got his arrest warrant. It doesn't even make any sense. It's so beautiful. The Jerusalem Christians, of course, are freaking out. Like, what is, come on, y'all. This guy hates us. This is some elaborate, he's real smart, too, so is this an elaborate scheme to, like, come get us in the end? Like, is this, like, some, like, I don't know. I don't, I'm not even smart enough to, some cell or something like that? I don't know bad things. Is he duping us to actually give us jail time and even death? But Barnabas, his nickname is Son of Encouragement, he had a different take. Don't we all need Sons of Encouragement? Barnabas retells the story 
and walks Saul around to show the Christians in Jerusalem it's the real deal. That what has actually happened is far more gracious and powerful than they could even have imagined. And they were the people who thought God was so gracious and powerful that they were changing the entire system of Jerusalem. But even more, it is as nonsensical grace as you could imagine. That's what's happening. But nonsensical kind of grace is the only kind of grace there really is. So then Saul goes off and starts rabble-rousing again. He starts preaching up a storm, preaching to anyone in the, around him about the long-awaited Messiah actually being Jesus. And he gets into good trouble again. But this time he's actually like doing that with the person who just gave him the rest warrant to get the people that he was now with. Jesus says, flips the script on the whole story. He's as zealous as he's ever been. But he is what the Bible calls a neophyte, young. He hasn't walked in the way that long. His wisdom has outpaced his, or his zeal has outpaced his wisdom. So the leaders in Jerusalem say, hey, Saul, love you, mean it. It's time for you to sit down a bit. We believe that your life has been transformed by the risen Christ. We believe everything that has happened to you. But you need some time. Time to percolate on what happened to you, what's happening to you. So you're going to go to Caesarea, and then you go back home to Tarsus. You're just going to spend some time. You're going to sit down for a little bit. It's a little time on the bench. That's about 10 to 14 years, depending on how you do the math. You need a break. You need some sanctification. That's when Saul becomes Paul. A decade and a half-ish out of the game. Not the sanctification game, but the ministry game. He wasn't ready. And that's the story of our passage today. Plus three absolutely miraculous miracles that happened in Peter in the rest of chapter 9. Crazy. Now I want to go back to church growth. <clears throat> so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. In the 80s, you could make a lot of money on a church multiplication conference. And the 90s. You can still do it today. <clears throat> I haven't figured that out yet. What I'm going to do now is actually try to help you see what I see in this text. Because you could listen to a thousand podcasts on church growth. A thousand more books and ten thousand more reviews of those books. In way, and, and trying to describe the way in which the kingdom expands. And by the way, it's, it's worth it. Go for it. There's a lot of good stuff in all of that. But here are my almost 50-year-old reflections on it. We tend, to, we tend to focus on Saul and his boldness. And that's, that's a worthy endeavor. But to focus on that alone is to miss the Spirit's church growth plan. 
that he's been doing. We talk about the road to Damascus experience, but not the Ananias' road to Straight Street experience, or Barnabas' encouragement experience, or the church leaders in Jerusalem saying, sit down experience. The road to Damascus experience is super important, and that will be the thing I end with. But what about the Ananias road to straight street experience and how that fits into church growth? Y'all know how Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers in the last couple hundred years, became a Christian? I didn't either until this week. <clears throat> he was lost and struggling. And he was 15 years old, and he started going to church every other day. And then the snowstorm hit, and as he recounts it, ended up at a Methodist church. He was a Baptist preacher, um, became a Baptist preacher. But the pastor of the Methodist church couldn't get there because of the snow. And so there were like a dozen people in the service, and a lay leader got up and shared the word. Spurgeon says it took about six minutes for him to exhaust everything he knew about that passage. I had been to most of the churches in Colchester, but not Artillery Street Bath Chapel. It was Methodist, but I was too cold to care. So he answers in, and the text for that day was Isaiah 45, 22, Look unto me. And be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. And the regular guy got up there and said, this is a very simple text. Anyone can look. So just look. And Spurgeon recalls that when the layman had spoken about all he knew to say, he fixed his eyes on me and said, said young man, you look very miserable. <laughs> and you will always be miserable. Miserable in this life and miserable in death if you do not obey this text. So look to Jesus, the Christ. Spurgeon converted. That's some Ananias stuff right there, y'all. We don't even know dude's name from Spurgeon. And we only know Ananias' name, but we don't know anything else about him because, well, basically Luke was a good researcher and figured out his name. This is a layman standing in on a snowy day because the clergy couldn't show up and just working out his sanctified instincts. I hate going to church conferences that say, you, senior pastor, can only lead your people as far as you have gone mostly because it's true and it's hard but it's also not true it's ridiculous you have the spirit of the living god in you and you are ananias's and i'm an ananias and we don't know where the pauls are and it's the simple connection to the spirit that actually grows the kingdom of god each of you are Ananiases that have the power to change the world with simple, a simple um, obedience to the Spirit's leading. Not because you know you're changing the world, but probably precisely because you know you're not. 
Because Jesus is changing the world in his church growth plan. The church doesn't run off a senior pastor's spirituality. The senior pastor contributes to the spirituality of the church. But we run off all of it together. It runs off the mercy and power of the Spirit of God to transform us into new obedience, into love of neighbor. And that Spirit is as much as you. You ask my family sometimes more in you than in me. But what about the Barnabas road to Saul's experience? So this year, not too long ago, I got back from my Schlupfinkel, which all of you mispronounce. That's okay, I still love you. But it's my 12 guys I meet with every year. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but for a lot of people, these last two years have been tough. And so what we usually do is have an absolutely, um, um, we specialize in invasive care where we ask all sorts of really hard questions. But this week, everyone's so daggum exhausted, so barely holding on, that the bishop, we have a bishop every year changes, the bishop declared that after you get your time to talk, you get to tell people the kinds of questions you can ask. And of the 12 people, nine of them said, I just want to be encouraged. I don't need any invasive care. Spirit's doing that just fine in my life right now. I just need to be encouraged. Y'all, we have no idea what just saying, you're doing it, man. You got it, girl, does in our world. It's a church growth tactic. It ain't sexy, but it is right. I had another meeting with someone today that I made a little slide comment on. And she looked at me and said, short accounts, that one hurt. I just need to be encouraged. And I said, I am absolutely sorry. I'm so, I'm sorry. You're right. But what about the church leader's road to Paul's need to experience more grace experience? How awesome is that? Sometimes we just got to sit down. That's a black church term, by the way, for when ministers' gifts and passions outpace their character. It's just time to sit down for a little bit just so wonderful. It's a great term. And I feel like I live on this way too much. We live in a Christian celebrity culture world that mirrors our own broken culture of celebrity. It's like we are addicted to the beautiful or the powerful or the influential people. And I get it. Heck, I want to be it sometimes. But zeal isn't wisdom. We have plenty of zeal in our world and very little wisdom. Very little character to actually make that zeal operational. Well, in my day, it was Deion Sanders when he converted. He was on the circuit. Y'all like, Deion Sanders? Wait, what's that? Wait, wait a second. What? Thanks, thanks, old people. Appreciate you. Um, but it could be Chip and good Joanna Gaines, or it could be Tim Tebow. But it's like we need them to legitimize the faith of the resurrected Jesus. It's ridiculous, but it's, the, it's where we swim, right? I'm not knocking them. They're Brother Tim, Brother Dion, Brother Chip and jo- Sister Joanna. Like, they're awesome. You know, when Dion was now most effective, it wasn't on the 
the, um, the kind of, um, what do you call it, uh, Christian industrial complex tour? It's when he became a coach. And he's doing amazing work as a coach. Coaching young black men and influencing them in ways that will change eternity. That's what happened to Saul. The, the leaders on this road to let's sanctify Saul to Paul movement weren't going, how do we work um, a market share? They were like, this is my beloved brother Saul who needs to grow so that zeal will make sense. And then he writes half the New Testament. I don't believe in the myth that our it says we need Christians to lead our whatever. I believe in the truth that we need holy, sanctified, and sacrificial Christians to serve the world. And now we've got to go to Saul's Damascus Road experience because that's real too. It's just as important to church growth. An encounter with the living Christ. Saul does, or what happens to Saul is what we call conversion. We need it. We need it once and for all, but we still need the vision of the living Christ day to day. Church growth is about the power of Jesus to transform us by seeing him and his grace and his power and his mercy. Not just as people who were opposed to the way, but people along the way as well. We're still being converted and have plenty of places in our lives that are unconverted, if you will. It's about Jesus, his miraculous power to stop us in our tracks and give us sight, sight of himself. So I'm going to end with Paul's retelling of what happened to him which is Acts 26, and it'll be a little long, and I've gone a little long because I had four weeks off and I'm getting back in the game. He's sitting there in front of King Agrippa. Not the highest, but of the highest courts in the land. After he's had this 10 years off, he's jumping back into the world, he's been preaching, he's getting himself in all sorts of good trouble. Spent 30% of his time in jail, right? And he says this, I consider myself fortunate that I am before you, King Agrippa. I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Boy, something happened in 10 years, right? My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time if they are willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope and the promise made by God to our fathers. It's an Old Testament retelling, by the way to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. 
He's thinking about his trip to Damascus. What's he doing? And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it? I must have cut and pasted wrong. Why is it so impossible or incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but then when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all synagogues, and I tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even into the foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, exact retelling, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but I rise up, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen, uh, uh, in which you've seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God, and they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not obedient, disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and all the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and was performing deeds in keeping with their, and, and performed deeds in keeping with their, their repentance. And this is why I'm here, why they seized me, and why I'm in jail, and why I'm before you. To this day, I have, held, have had the help that comes from God, so I ha- stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. One of Agrippa's guys comes up and says, his name's Festus, awesome name, by the way. He says, Paul, you're crazy. It literally says, you've spent too much time studying. You've gone all beautiful mind on us right now. He doesn't say that part. And Agrippa's like, I don't know what to do with this. Agrippa goes, are you trying to get me to be a Christian in this testimony? In short time? And Paul says, whether short or long, I would love for God, not only you, but also hear me this day, that you might become as I am except for without the chains. Y'all, God's church growth plan isn't about power to influence the world. It's about his sovereign grace 
coming down upon us and transforming our lives, whether we're Barnabas or Ananias or Saul or the elders of the church. May you, Lord, come do this in us. Amen.